So there's this guy. He was a college student. He was actually taking his final exam in ornithology, which is the study of birds. He had really studied hard. He knew his birds. He knew every bird in the book. And so he went to his final exam with a certain amount of confidence. And he gets in, he sits down in class, and the professor hands out the final exam. And all the final exam has on it is photographs of birds' feet. So you're supposed to be able to identify every bird by their feet. Well, this student, he was so exasperated by the, you know, how ridiculous this test was that he just gets up and he starts to just walk out of class. And the professor stops him and says, where are you going? He says, I'm leaving. This is ridiculous, this test. And the professor says, what is your name? And he pulled up his leg and said, you tell me what my name is. <laughs> well, this morning I don't want to talk to you about birds, but I do want to talk to you about how you can really take your spiritual life to another level. How you can really, how we as a church can really soar at new heights, really, if we get this truth down. Now, last week we talked about the fact that we are all priests. There's no such thing in the Bible as the clergy laity gap. There's no distinction. We are all called to the ministry. We're all ministers. We're all part of the body of Christ. Just like a human body has different parts, have different functions, every one of us is a part of the body of Christ, and we have different functions. And as we each, you know, really live out our design, our function, by using our gifts and our abilities, not only does the church become more effective, but we each also fulfill our calling. Now, if somebody doesn't want to do that, someone says, I'm not going to do my part, and I don't want to be part of an army, I just want to be part of an audience and uninvolved, then not only do you handicap the body, if you can imagine one part of the body not doing its function, you handicap the body, but also if you're apart from the body, then you shrivel up and die. So we all need to realize that we have an investment to make in the kingdom of God, all of us, not just some of us, all of us. We are to invest our gifts and our, our abilities, our talents, for the glory of God. Now, there's something else I want us to talk about that we need to all invest. Not just some of us, all of us. We all need to be able to invest our resources into kingdom ministry as much as we can. Now, I did a message a few years ago about some of the incentives that God gives us in the Bible for investing our resources. And this message is not one I'm going to repeat today, but I want you to, you have, if you haven't heard it, to be able to access it. If you go on to gracearlington.com, that's our website, gracearlington.com, go to the live page, there will be a button there that you can click on and hear this message that I did a few years ago, almost four years ago, about the incentives, the motivation that God gives us to be givers, to be those who will really follow his guidelines of tithing. The word tithe simply means a tenth part. I hear people from time to time say, I tithe sometimes. But really, if you say, I tithe sometimes in 2022, I would say, let's add up all your revenues, streams of revenue for 2022, 
and then take 10% of that, and did you give that in 2022? If you say, well, no, then you didn't tithe in 2022. And so, you know, we got to understand that God wants us to all do this, to invest for his kingdom ministry, all do our part, but he gives us these incentives. Here's some of the incentives. One incentive is it will make you financially secure. The Bible teaches that. It also teaches it'll make you healthier. It'll make you happier. It'll increase your spiritual responsibility and authority right now on the earth. And later on, when you die and go to heaven, it will, your giving, your generosity, will determine what kind of welcome you get into heaven. It will determine what kind of house you have in heaven. It will determine what kind of treasures you get in heaven. It'll even determine what your job will be for eternity. All those incentives for us to be generous people now, to be givers, to be tithers. And so it's really important if you haven't uh, thought about some of those, that please go online and hear that message. What I want to do is do the message that should follow that message. And that is, if all that is true, if all those things are true that God would do for us now and for eternity, if I was a generous person, a giver, a tither, if all that is true, then why is it that most Christians don't tithe? If all that is true, then why is it that most Christians don't tithe? Well, after 43 years now of ministry, I'll tell you that I've, I know of four reasons that cause most Christians not to tithe, four reasons. And I want to walk you through those. Because there's a, there's a way for us to erase all four of those. Reason number one is debt. Most Christians want to be more generous. They want to give. They want to tithe. But they can't. They don't think they can, at least, because they are in debt. Now, the Bible does teach that debt is a dangerous thing. The danger of debt and the reason that the Bible discourages debt is because one thing can go wrong and everything can fall apart if you're in debt. You have no margin. Proverbs 22, verse 7 says, The rich rules over the poor, and the borrower, listen to this, and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. Now, in the first century, if you borrowed from a lender and then you couldn't pay him back, and you became his slave, sometimes even going to debtor's prison until you paid it off. And so, you know, you, you, lose, you lose freedom, and it's like you've got this, this rope around your neck, and when you're dead, and it's someone's pulling on the other end of it. Some of the most tormented people I know are folks whose backs are just breaking under the weight, the crushing load of debt. But I do believe that most Christians want to be givers. And they want to be out of debt, but they just can't seem to get there. Well, we can help you get there. There's a class that we offer that's called Financial Peace University. And you can look in your bulletin because it's coming up in September. I tell you, I have not seen many people hear one message about how to get out of debt. I've not seen a large percentage of people hearing that message actually achieve getting out of debt. But I've seen a very high percentage of people who take this class week after week and follow the guidelines and be involved in the support 
and accountability of the class, I've seen a large percentage retire tens of thousands of dollars of debt every year. And so if you're under you know, the load of debt and you want to get out of it, take the class. And by the way, the class is free. We as a church have already paid for the class, so you don't have to pay for it. In fact, there's one more thing. I normally don't ask you to take out your phones and, you know, and do something in church, but I'm going to ask you to take out your phone and look at this slide. Take your camera and take your picture. Go ahead and zoom in on that QR code because we also are offering this free Ramsey account. This account, free for you. Church has purchased it so you can have it free. And you can access it. It'll help you get out of debt. So if you're in debt, take the class so you can get out of debt. You will get out of debt. You take the class. You follow what is taught in the class. You will be out of debt. And you'll have the liberty and the freedom and the joy of being able to live a more generous life. Who doesn't want that? And so if you want to get out of debt, take the class. But also, some of you are thinking, well, I just don't want to get out of debt as much as I'd like a pay raise. Well, take the class. You'll get a pay raise. You will. You will give yourself a pay raise if you take the class and follow what's in there. So that's the first reason a lot of Christians who want to be more generous, who want to tithe, they think they can't because they're in debt. Well, you can get out of debt. We're going to help you. Now let's look at the second reason why so many Christians who want to be more generous aren't, and that is simply unbelief. They really don't believe the promises of God. It's interesting. They call themselves believers, but they don't believe the promises of God. Let me show you. Let me give you one promise. It's a promise right out of your Bible, the book of Malachi, chapter 3, verse 10 and 11. says this. Let's, let me read it. Bring the whole tithe, that's that 10%, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, your place of worship. Why? So that there may be food in my house. That's so the priests, the ministers, the missionaries all could do their jobs. And test me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then... I will rebuke the devourer for you so that it will not destroy the fruits of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grapes, says the Lord of hosts. So think about that. If we believe that promise, then we would tithe. If we believe the promise, we would tithe. I mean, who doesn't want to walk under an open heaven? Now, blessings pour out on you till they overflow. Who doesn't want that kind of life? Also, who doesn't want the devourer rebuked? Who's the devourer? The devourer is the one who eats up your paycheck before your next one comes. The devourer is the one who, you know, ate up that bonus. What happened to it? That pay raise, where'd it go? That inheritance, it's gone. That's the devourer. Well, God says, you tithe, I'll rebuke the devourer. And when God rebukes him, it works all the time. So God makes this promise and makes many promises about generosity. In fact, there's a tremendous amount of things said in the Bible about all the promises God says he will keep if we'll be generous. 
will tell him, and he says, test me now in this and see. So there's going, to be a, there's going to be a step of faith to do this. We're going to test God. It's the only time in the Bible God says, test me right here. Test me and see if I won't come through for you. And so unbelief keeps a lot of Christians from time. They just don't believe the word of God. They don't believe it. And so I would urge you, if you are a believer, then believe. Believe the Bible. Believe the promises. God will keep his end of it. He will. Now, so you will be blessed because of it, but also the church will be able to do so much more if all of us, every wage earner, did this. We'd be able to do so much more here in the community and around the world. So much more in ministries like Embrace Grace and ESL, English as a Second Language, our homeless ministry, our jail ministry, our Hoops for Hope and our Kicks for Kids and our Launch ministry, our Practical Helps ministry, our Disaster Relief ministry, our reaching to other nations with unreached and unengaged people groups. All those things could greatly be enhanced if we'd all just do our part. Again, we're talking about investing. Last week, we talked about investing our our spiritual gifts and our abilities and our talents, and today, investing our resources. This is all for the glory of God. A few weeks ago, Tracy and I were down in South Texas, and we got in a conversation with a helicopter pilot. And during this conversation, we're talking about the Lord, and he says to me, you a pastor? You're a pastor. I said, yep. He said, let me tell you a story. He was just a real animated guy. I said, go ahead. I'd love to hear it. He said, well, I was about to be bankrupt. And I told my wife, we need to go to church. He said, we don't, we don't go to church. We're not churchgoers. Well, but I told my wife, we need to go to church. We need God's help. So he said, we went to church, and the pastor's preaching on Malachi chapter 3, on tithing. He said, I don't know hardly any verses in the Bible. He said, but I know that verse now. He said, and so I leaned over to my wife during the message and said, we're going to do that. She said, we don't have any money. He said, but we're going to start today. She said, I'm not writing a hot check to the church. He said, yes, we are. So he goes on and tells the story. He decides that day that they're going to start tithing. Now he said, but I, I need to tell you one more thing about my story. I needed to come up with $280,000 by the end of next week or I was going to lose everything. So I went to God and asked him. He said, and I came up with $280,000 before the end of that next week. He said, he said, now I have a trucking business. I own 180 trucks. He says, I own a ranch. I have my own airplane. I have this helicopter. He said, and now I get to build, I'm building houses for the poor in Central America. And he said, and I love it. It's amazing if we will test God and just believe his promises, what he will do in your life for you, pouring out blessings to the overflow, rebuke the devour, and also what we can do as a church if we all do it. So debt doesn't need to be something that holds us back. Take FPU, Financial Peace University, let's get you out of debt. Every year we get a lot of people in our church out of debt. Or number two, we don't have to have unbelief. doesn't have to keep you from giving, being a tither. Start believing the promises of God. Repent from unbelief. Say, Lord, I'm going to believe what you say. I'm going to test you. I'm stepping out. All right, three. The third reason 
why most Christians who want to be more generous but aren't, the reason is fear. Most Christians don't tithe because they're afraid. Afraid of what? What are they afraid of? They're afraid that if they do give now, they might not have what they need later in the future. They're concerned that if they don't look after their own needs first, then those needs might not get looked after at all. So even though they want to live a generous lives, they're afraid because they're uncertain about the future. So rather than being generous, what they do is they are quite sparing with their resources because they are afraid to lose them. So this same mentality crept into Christians in the first century. The Apostle Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, addresses that issue. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. We're going to look at that. 2 Corinthians chapter 9 uses an agricultural metaphor. It basically teaches that the law of the harvest is also true of the world of finances. In essence, the passage says that those who give generously now will receive something back for their generosity. In fact, the passage we're about to read says this, that if I will be generous and give, then the Lord will give back. If I will sow, I will get a harvest. If I will give, the Lord will give back. Why? So I can give more. Why? So he can give back more. Why? So I can give more. Let's read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, starting at verse 6. Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. He who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always, having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance. What for? For every good deed. So he's saying it's not only safe to be generous, it's the wisest thing you can do for your future is to be generous now. That's what he's saying. So here's what it is. We tend to think if I give something away, I've lost it. Or if I gave it away, I used to have it, but I no longer have it. But that's not how it works. In generosity, it works this way, that, that if I give, then God gets involved in my finances. And he will give back. So if I sow, like the agriculture metaphor, seed, I will get a harvest. I want you to think about this. Since most of us aren't farmers, I want you to imagine this. Okay, this farmer has a big bag of seed. What does the farmer want? He wants a harvest. So what if the farmer says, I want a harvest, Lord, but I, I don't want to lose my seed. So, Lord, I pray for a harvest, but I'm, I've got to keep my seed. Now, the farmer knows that if he wants a harvest, he has to sow the seed. He knows that. He knows that if he sows a little seed, he's going to get a little harvest. He knows that. He knows if he sows a lot of seed, he'll get a lot of harvest. He also knows if he sows no seed at all, he gets no harvest, no matter how hard he prays. What this passage is saying is that the law of the harvest applies to the world of finances. It applies to 
our giving. So here's the principle. We give. We're generous. God gets involved in our finances. And then he enables more to come back to us somehow, some way, a lot of times unexpected ways. Why? Just so we can spend it all ourselves? No, so we can be more generous. And then God is more involved in our finances and gives more back. Why? So we can be more generous. This teaching of the prosperity gospel is wrong. It's not biblical. God will prosper us, true, but not just for us. It's so we can continue to be a blessing to others. So the prosperity theology is wrong. Generosity theology is correct. The more generous I am, the more God will trust me to be generous with more. He can entrust me because I'm a partner with him now to accomplish what he wants done on the earth. Let's look at the rest of this passage. 2 Corinthians 9, starting verse 8 again. God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have an abundance for every good deed. Verse 10. Now, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness, you'll be enriched in everything. What for? For all liberality, which through us is producing thanksgiving to God. So when we're faithful to give generously, we do a good service to God. As a result, he will come back to us for more. Why? Because when he wants to distribute more in the future, he knows who he can trust his partners. So he gives more to you so you can be used by him to bless others. This should dispel all of our, any fears you have about giving. The only thing you should be afraid of about giving is holding back. If you hold back, then God's not involved in your finances. That's something to be afraid of, not having God involved in your finances. But if you're generous and you do give, you do tithe, then God's involved in your finances, he will take care of your future. That's what this is teaching us. So don't fear being generous. That's what gets God involved in your finances. Just fear a future without being involved, God being involved in your finances. So number one, debt can keep you from being as generous as you want to be, so let's solve that problem. Take you know, Financial Peace University. You know, number two, unbelief can keep you from being as generous as you want to be. Well, repent from unbelief, start believing God's promises. And number three, fear can keep you from being generous, so don't be afraid. The only thing you should be afraid of is not having God involved in your finances. If you're generous, he will be involved in your finances, and your future is secure. You're not losing money every time you give. You're investing it, and God's going to trust you with more and more for the future. All right, one more. The fourth reason I've heard, uh, seen many, many times hold Christians back from giving like they'd want to is greed, covetousness, greed. Now, in Acts chapter 20, the Apostle Paul says something very interesting. The Apostle Paul in Acts chapter 20 is speaking to the, uh, some leaders from the church of Ephesus, Ephesians. Now, understand that Paul has lived with them two to three years. He knows them. He loves them. He led them to Christ. He discipled them. And these are the key leaders. These are the ones he was, he was so close with. And he's got his last thing he wants to say to them before they're not going to see him again. In fact, let's, let's look at one verse, Acts 20, verse 25. 
Paul says, And now behold, I know that all of you among whom I went about preaching the kingdom will no longer see my face. Paul's leaving. He's leaving, and it's something important he wants to say to them before he leaves. This is the last thing he wants to say to them. He wants it ringing in their ears. It's really important that they get this. So what is it? Well, let's see. Acts 20, verse 32. He says, And now I commend you to God and to the word of his grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. I have coveted no one's silver or gold or clothes. You yourselves know that these hands ministered to my own needs and to the men who were with me. And everything I showed you that by working hard in this manner, you must help the weak and remember the words of the Lord Jesus that he himself said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. When he said these things, he knelt down and prayed with them all, and they began to weep aloud and embraced Paul and repeatedly kissed him. So he says, these are the last words he says to them. I lived among you without greed and covetousness. I showed you a life lived out in deeds of mercy to the poor. I showed that to you. And I showed you it's more blessed to give than receive. And that's the last thing he says before he leaves. Last thing he says to him is be careful. Be on your guard against covetousness and greed. Watch out for that. And then he reminds them what Jesus said. It's more blessed to give than receive. By the way, this word blessed or blessed, the English word really doesn't carry the weight of the Greek and the Hebrew words that it is used to translate. It doesn't carry the weight. This idea of being blessed biblically is the idea of flourishing in every way, flourishing physically and mentally, emotionally, spiritually, financially, relationally. It's a flourishing. That's the idea of being blessed. The Hebrew word shalom kind of carries that kind of weight. It's, the, it's like the wholeness, living a life of wholeness, a life that's flourishing, shalom. Not just peace, it's a flourishing life. And what he's saying here is if we live, live, if we live generous lives, we will flourish ourselves and we will cause a flourishing even around us. I think the best picture I can think of for that is a movie that is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's, the movie's called It's a Wonderful Life. Can't tell you how many Christmas Eves I've sat through and watched it over and over. I think I've memorized it. I love the movie. I love the point of the movie. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, I'll just kind of tell you the story. George Bailey, he's a banker in a town called Bedford Falls. He's a very generous man. As a result of his generosity, Bedford Falls, in many ways, is flourishing. There's a certain sense of shalom and peace and flourishing in this little town of Bedford Falls. Well, in the movie, in the story, in that comes a point where George Bailey decides that he doesn't want to live anymore. He gets very down, and he's thinking about dying, killing himself. Well, an angel appears to him. His name is Clarence. And he shows George Bailey what would happen would have happened to Bedford Falls if he had never lived. 
Now, in order for you to understand the rest of the story, there's another character in the story named Potter. Potter's an old, stingy man. He didn't care about anybody but himself. Well, without George Bailey's life being there, it was not Bedford Falls anymore. It was Potterville. And Potterville was not flourishing. There was no shalom in Potterville. People were so unhappy. Why? Because there was not this blessing being released in the community anymore because of the generosity of the life of George Bailey. See, that really is the picture. I think Paul has that in his mind. Why does Paul want these Ephesian elders to know this? See, Paul is concerned about them. He wants their lives to flourish. So he wants them to live generous lives. Don't become greedy. But also, he loves Ephesus. He lived there for almost three years. He wants Ephesus to flourish. And he realizes that if these leaders start to get greedy and start to just live a life of covetousness, that it's going to affect the entire city of Ephesus. So he says, watch out for that. Don't let that happen. Live a life of generosity. When my kids were growing up, uh, Tracy and I did lots of fun things with them. And one of the things that I would do from time to time was I would have a, a special date time with each of the kids. And I loved it when they were little because they had cheap dates. And they wanted to go to McDonald's or something. One of my, one of my, one of my boys, said, I said, it's your, your, your turn. Where do you want to go to eat? You can eat anywhere. McDonald's. I'm like, yes. So we go to McDonald's and I get him some fries. He loves the fries. I mean, it's a, and it's a large fry. He just, you know, small fry is playing, but I got him a large one. And I set it right in front of him, and I just kind of sat there looking over at him. And he's eating those fries, and he's loving them. But you know how that smell kind of gets to you, McDonald's fries? So I reach over, and I grab a couple, and I eat them. And he goes, and he makes a fort around his fries. <laughs> That's his arms. And he looks at me and says, no, Dad. These are mine. <laughs> now, at that point, I thought about a couple things. I thought, do you not understand I'm 6'2", I weigh 190 pounds? <laughs> I thought about, you know, he doesn't understand that I bought him those fries. In fact, I can go back to the counter and I can put so many fries on the table, he can't eat them all. He doesn't understand that I can go to the counter and get my own fries if I want. It's not about that. It's about I wanted to share this moment with him. See, here's the truth. The truth is God has blessed all of us with a whole lot of fries. I mean, we're all, we're all really drowning in blessings. Some of us got McDonald's straight, you know, white fries. Some of us got curly fries from Wendy's. Some of us got small, large, supersized. But we all got fries. Here is the truth. Is sometimes God wants to reach in and take some of the blessings and use them for somebody else in our lives. And our tendency is to go... These are mine. And so Paul's telling these Ephesian elders, don't let that happen to you. Don't begin to become covetousness. Don't begin to become greedy. Realize that you are blessed and be a blessing because you're blessed. One of the things that you received when you came in, I hope you have one. If you didn't, you can get one on the way out. There's a little card that simply says enough. Because most have a disease of more. This inability to say enough in all kinds of areas, you know, whether it's clothes or cars or toys or homes or things. Without thinking very much, we kind of drift into this, this in, you know, indefinitely expanding lifestyle that's going unchallenged. 
So I just want to ask you for one week to carry this card in your purse or in your pocket. And then when you come at a time where you're kind of tempted to get something you really don't need, you really don't, and you reach in to pay for it and you come out and you go, oh, yeah, I have enough. I have enough. And I think the more of us that can live with that mentality, the more generous we can be with those things that people really do need. So those are four things that can, that can keep someone from being as generous as they want to be. And I believe everyone in this room wants to be generous. I think we want to be. But some of us, debt's holding us back. One doesn't have to. Take Financial Peace University. For some of us, unbelief's holding us back. Repent from unbelief, start believing the promises of God. Test God. See? For some of us, it's fear. Don't be afraid of giving. Giving gives God, gets God involved in your finances. Be afraid of not giving because then you don't have God involved in your finances for the future. And then the last one is greed. And just come to a place where, you know, you understand if I'm going to live a life of flourishing and I want to see my community flourish, and I've got to be generous and I can't hit this place where I'm starting to become greedy. I have to live with the mentality I've got enough. So let's stand for closing prayer because I believe there's an action point for everyone in the room. I want you to think about an action point. There's none of us can walk out of here without an action point. For some of you, your action point is, I got to get out of debt. I want to give myself a pay raise. I'm taking FPU. I'm taking Financial Peace University. It's free. Take it. For some of you, your action point is, I'm going to start believing the Word of God. How can I call myself a believer and I don't even believe His promises? I'm going to believe Him. We'll step out and we'll trust him. And for some of you, your action point is, you know what? I, and so, I know we got a lot of very generous people in this room. I know a lot of you are so faithful with your resources to God. But I, all of us can consider, how could I sow even more so I can reap even more so I can sow even more? And finally, I think all of us can have the action point of taking this card of enough and carry it for a week and keep reminding ourselves that maybe we don't really need that or that, and, and we can even be more generous with what we have. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your generosity to us. We all, if we would stop and think about it, we're all drowning in blessings. Lord, you're so good. You're so generous. And we pray, Lord, that we would have that kind of heart ourselves, that we would be generous, and would be, nothing could hold us back. Lord, we pray this week we'd find ourselves just really living that out and walking that out. And I pray, Lord, that uh, we'd be able to do more and more as a church because of that and impact a world that desperately needs to flourish, needs shalom, needs blessedness. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.